Okay, yeah, that was a... We've perfected our evil laughs. It's official. Huzzah. We're talking about evil laughs because this is the evil podcast of evil podcast that talks about the show, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, in more time than the show takes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Condra, you just fell. Yep, I did. Okay. Um, and so, yes, this is episode 13 of the evil podcast of evil, lasting from... 40 minutes, zero seconds from 42 minutes, 22 seconds. It's essentially the credits. And so we're here to talk about the credits. Who are we? Well, I mentioned her name, uh, but my co-host is Condra Boudreau. Say hello. Hi. And I'm Tyler Boudreau. I'm I'm just messing up the order of everything. But Chaos. that's okay. We're in the final episode of the film you know, segment, I like to, I like so to, it's I like chaos. to change it up, you know? Just Anarchy. We live in a world with the evil league of evil ruling. Yes. So it's all anarchy. They, they, they won't let us introduce ourselves in the same order that we normally do. Correct. <laughs> I have a gun to my head saying, you better introduce Kondra first and not yourself. Yeah. yeah. She is more important than you. Yeah. Okay. I might have just added that bit myself. Okay. <laughs> so the credits of this show obviously are... This is a, a credit sting where it's like where someone will not have wanted the film to end because it's like, oh, it, it's not a cliffhanger ending, so to speak, but it's a it's a sad ending. It's a sad ending with a with a kind of forced resolution of like, oh, that's what's happening. And so the credit the credits aren't giving you any answers that you kind of that you kind of want. So when the credits kind of open on just like sad piano music and directed by Jed Whedon, you're like, oh. It's over now. <laughs> it was so cool. At first, I thought my speaker, like, because I'm having so many problems with my speakers and my headphones right now, that I thought my, like, computer was really broken. And I was like, why can't I hear what's going on in the credits right now? And then I was like, oh, yeah, it starts out silent. Yeah. I mean, uh, like a silent, uh, like a fade to black, or not even a fade to black, a cut to black with directed by Joss Whedon, like... That's an effective thing. Like, I mean, it's a it's 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 a meme that like uh, cut to black directed by blank as being like, oh, like, boom, uh, kind of like supposed to be like an intense thing. But, you know, in, in this case, it it's an effective use of the credits as a we talked about this. We did talk fantastic about Mr. Fox. Mr. Fox. And because that one is a continued scrolling. It just takes the scene and adds the credits over it. Yeah, which is an, which is a different effect of credits where it's like, oh, you you maintain the emotion of the last shot. And, the, and the, this way is similar because obviously you're intensifying the emotion of that last shot by saying that's the most important moment and now it's over and now you're left to process it. But it's almost but it's almost the opposite because it's like instead of instead of allowing you to continue to exist in that moment, it's like now that moment's over and you need to think about it yourself. It's all on you. And another thing we also talked about in Fantastic Mr. Fox, I think, um, shamelessly plugging our own show. No, just just for just for context, and so you know what, I, like you might remember what I'm about to say is uh, this idea that I I mentioned at least once before of um, starting the story in as late a position as you can and ending it in as early a position as you can. Did I ever talk about this with you? No. Okay, I definitely talked about it on someone else's podcast then. But this is this idea in storytelling where the story is only going to happen in so, so limited a space. 
So if you start too early or end too late, you're really just adding filler. So really what all this all this cutoff is that Joss Whedon and uh, Lisa Lassick, the editor, whom we learn about in this credits, um, all, all you're doing is just saying, the story is over here. If we went any further, it would be extraneous. You you would get answers, but they're not answers that are going to tell you any more than if we just ended it here. It's this idea of that there's only so much story to tell. But you still want the sequel. But <laughs> but you still want the a sequel. A sequel, especially now as we've been talking about, as if you would if you would do like the 13 years later sequel would be much more interesting than the oh what happened right after word sequel. Well, we kind of got the right afterwards sequel in the montage. So, yeah, it is more finding out about the Evil League and Dr. Horrible's time in the Evil League. Yeah, well, but we, I would be interested in knowing how that story would play out. But if it was anything be- beyond, oh, he's struggling with if he's a bad person, like if he really wants to be this evil person or if he's going to flake out and try to be a good person. I mean, what? that that would be an it that's an interesting story but that's what this story was about already like mm-hmm. no um i think them going the comic book route for the sequel makes sense just yeah. because this was kind of like lightning in a bottle in that it was so much wrapped up in the time and the circumstances that these creators were living in yeah. uh, with the writer strike. And even I was digging a little into the extra features of the Blu-ray today before we recorded and going on the website and stuff. And that writer strike is the backbone of this. And it was an experimentation on creating something that was not through the formal networks and also trying out just to create something for the sake of creation because there was that void and creators need to create ours gratia artis yes <laughs> i yeah you're right and something that kind of will go would normally go unsaid in like when you were talking about credits is that like oh there's all these people and obviously we can't list all of their names uh, and like who they are because that would just be a whole time of us reading credits but really what it is is even though they were like this is like an independent production like they still have dozens and dozens of people working on this and there's still a like like food service and catering and just all the and gaffers and best boys and all the random stuff that's on a film set because that's what they're doing and so like it yeah a lot of people put a lot of hard work into this and and this happens a lot with like auteur theory, but it's like if, if we rest it all on like Joss Whedon's shoulders, then it's like, well, that's far less interesting. Like it was clearly a team effort. Yeah, I'm trying to find in the letter that he posted before Dr. Horrible. Uh, so Joss Whedon wrote like a little letter on the website before it came out and it's got like the schedule for release and stuff. But it basically was like I just brought together everyone I've ever worked with, family, friends, like we all just created so yeah um well it's technically from all of them it says yours truly j of the firm j j m and z so it's joss on behalf of the creators yeah well that sounds like joss jed marissa and zach yeah okay so yeah I, i oh yeah the other thing i was going to say is um 
you, you're talking about how it's like a time and place thing. It's also like a, this could have only happened in 2008 because like with the, the writer strike, obviously, but also like where we were in the production of superhero films, like obviously Joss Whedon would go on to direct the Avengers and this would have like clearly an influence on his directing work and at his... least of Loki, if nothing else. Yeah. Oh, but also the superhero films that had come before it, like it was, it's, it's a, a f- something like this. It's not, it's not a response to the Marvel movies as we know them today. It's kind of a response to Spider-Man movies and like a fantastic four movie and Batman movies that we had gotten. Like it wasn't, it was a different oh, time. Definitely. It took the non-seriousness of the genre that already existed and amplified it by making it a musical. Yeah, it, it's a it's a parody of that silliness by amplifying the silliness, but also saying, oh, but what if it was serious? So it's it's a double twist in that way. He says in his letter too. I just caught this again because I got a chuckle out of it the first time that this was a midlife crisis, basically. <laughs> the the other thing that I was trying to forget is like it just where, where everyone in, was in their careers, like Nathan Fillion and Neil Patrick Harris, like not that they wouldn't do something like this today because they probably would, but the idea that like. It comes in a perfect time slot, and just the cast that's assembled is at this perfect zenith of their abilities, but not, like, over-famous or anything. Like, it's good. Definitely. So, yeah. Um, you want to talk about the credits? Yeah. Was there anything in the credits that you were like, uh, I need to talk about Lisa Lassick? Well, there were a couple things that I noticed that were kind of funny. Um, it segregate. That's not the right word. Um, the separated, divided, divide. Yeah. Well, they delineated the evil league of e- evil after. So after all the main characters and even the side characters and the um pink pink pummeler and the and those kinds of folks. Yeah. They're and introducing the evil league of evil. Yeah. And uh, it brings well, out they were an underground organization before. And now they're in the public. Yeah. So it. It just, it was funny to have them delineated differently. And uh, Bad Horse is credited by a one named Dober or Dauber. 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 Yeah, the horse that played Bad Horse is named Dauber. And he was also on an episode of Dollhouse in 2009. And he came from Phil's Animal Rentals. Phil's (laughs) Phil sure knows how to put a horse in a single shot. It doesn't even have to move. It just kind of has to look. It's not just a single shot, though, because there is... There's two. There's the room and then the close-up. No. So in the, sp- in the special features on the Blu-ray, <laughs> there is the uh, Evil League of Evil interview that gives kind of headshot. Like, it's got some- most of the Evil League of Evil sitting around the main table, and they're all, like, chatting and answering questions and interacting with one another. And Bad Horse is not there. He is out getting lunch and you see him walking <laughs> through a stable it's just like they go they cut to him a few times and he's just walking through the stable and it's really funny that's pretty funny like eating oats no he's not eating he's just walking around mm, i want to see him eat oats you know how the horses love oats okay <laughs> um yeah so should we go through the evil league of evil that was kind of one of the things we promised that this credits episode would contain yeah, I've I've got the list here, and I've also got what they said on that interview, um, and yeah. I did a little digging too. All right, 
Okay, we'll start with Professor Normal, played by yes. Doug Petrie, who is a producer in Hollywood. Yep. Um, what? Do you- oh, well, wait. Do we? Okay, so I want to preface this first. Um, so when this whole project was announced, they. I'm trying to find the story again. They basically had submissions. They were like, submit yourself or submit a character to the Evil League of Evil. And they had thousands of entries. And they were all three-minute videos of, like, pitches. And they actually included some of these pitches and then all of the names on this extra bonus feature that was a half hour long. And it was, like, people singing and, like, doing stuff. It was really it was really well done. Um, and, like, each of the, the submissions were, were funny. But it was... Just another layer to this evil league that there are actual people, not just in this fantasy realm, this parallel dimension, that want to be in the evil league of evil. Whoa. So, Professor Normal. Yes. Um, my guess for what his powers are, and we talked a little bit about this with Robin last week. Mm-hmm. My guess for Professor Normal's powers are he can make you not realize that something special is going on and so he, he kind of had it's mind control in the way that like oh but that you just think the status quo is happening but what is actually happening is he's robbing the bank but everyone just thinks it's a normal day you are thinking about it way too much oh man okay what's his what's his <laughs> he is completely normal he has a wife three kids and a house with a mortgage he also has a cyborg jaw and plans to be a full cyborg by spring of 2010. Oh, oh good. Uh, so what, why is he in the Evil League of Evil then? What's so evil about him? I, yep, Does he even it. have a letter of condemnation from the deputy mayor? I don't know. Well, then what's the point? I'm trying All to... Right. I've been trying to see, like... I think it's just kind of funny. I, in my thoughts, it's like, it's just kind of funny that they're like, yep, that that's it. All right. Fake Thomas Jefferson, played by Drew Goddard. Um, who is a producer and writer. He actually um, wrote uh, the film adaptation of the, the Martian, which was nominated for oh. an Academy Award. Yeah, the name sounds familiar. That good. Um, but no time to get into it. Time to get into fake Thomas Jefferson, whom I'm guessing is a slave owner. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> also. And well, he's fake. He's not like time-traveled Thomas Jefferson. He's Correct. fake Thomas Jefferson, so... Mm-hmm. I don't. I, does he stand in front of monuments and try to scam people? Like I don't know. <laughs> so the funny thing was when he got introduced, he was like, "Don't call me fake Thomas Jefferson. I'm not fake Thomas Jefferson. I don't want to see one of those little titles that says fake Thomas Jefferson." And then it cuts to the fake, t- and then it cuts to yeah. the title that yeah. says fake Thomas Jefferson. So he has the strength of five men or three slaves, depending on your <laughs> unit of measurement. Oh my god! He is horribly racist. <laughs> He is, uh, he's also, he excels at horticulture, architecture, and calligraphy. Yes. To be fair, that, that, that three slaves joke is a reference to the three-fifths compromise and not, not any racist associations about slaves being stronger than normal men. No, but it does. I want, I wanted to clarify. Yes. But it also has an underlying racism that people descended from Africa or anyone enslaved um, because there were more than just African slaves in what is now the United States, were considered less than people. So yes. they had to, um, the for the South to agree on the Constitution, there had to be a compromise 
delineating population so they could have more representation in, which, in Congress. Yeah, in which every five slaves counted only actually represented three people in the population. Correct. Yay. Okay, that that was fake Thomas Jefferson. Anything oh. else funny about him? Or That is all about fake Thomas Jefferson. All right, then we have Tie-Dye, played by Kate Danson, who is an actor. Uh, Tie-Dye, um, she just just spritzes colors on people and mi- stains their clothes and makes their days generally unpleasant. Your guess is as good as mine. She didn't answer the question of what your superpowers were. She said, I got sick of all the happy people. I discovered myself when I was mixing ylang ylang and something else that I didn't recognize in a farmer's market. So, <laughs> sure, she spritzes people and makes them turn colors. Anything else about her that we should know? Thomas Jefferson's racism came out when he said, your skin is of a darker tone. <laughs> Great. Yeah, no, it was really it was really problematic. Um, <laughs> and she she was very chill. She didn't have a whole lot to say. So I don't I don't know if there's much about her in the head right. canon. And then we have dead Bowie played by Jed Whedon. Yep. Clearly just a, a David Bowie riff. Um, yes, but there's backstory to Dead Bowie. All right. So my the, my guess would be that this is a this is a David Bowie persona that died. Well, like like he went from being Ziggy Stardust to whatever. And this is so this is a persona that got changed from but then exi- then became its own person and <laughs> survived and has resentment against David Bowie for abandoning it. Kind of? You're on the right track. So this <laughs> is the real David Bowie. He died in 1980, and anything after 1980 is not actually David Bowie. Okay. He also has the power of persuasion, which he he said that was the best word he could use for it, whatever that may mean. <laughs> the power of seduction, more like it. Probably. <laughs> okay, so that... the. The same idea of like, okay, so all of David Bowie's like different personas are just like because he's dead, like because he's actually dead. So they have to like hire different people to be him. Correct. That, and the that same, makes sense. The, the Paul is dead theory, yeah. but for David Bowie. Yeah. All right. Then we have Fury Laika played by Liz Vassie, who is also an actor. She has the most backstory. So <laughs> um, I, I, I don't I don't really know what this one is at all. So. So she was a she was a manicurist in Brooklyn. She was about to get married. She was at her wedding venue in Long Island. Her husband does not show up and she gets a radioactive dove poops on her (laughs) and she is imbued with these radioactive bride ish powers. So she has four women that follow her carrying something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. She has poison flowers. She has a ball and chain. She had one other ephemera, but ultimately she wants to destroy every man that comes into her path until she finds the man who stood her up. Yay. That's a good, that's a good backstory. Yeah. Obviously she's not destroying fake Thomas Jefferson. She looked like she wanted to when fake Thomas Jefferson started um, using racial slurs against Tai <laughs> So, Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> um, then we have snake bite played by Athena Demos. She's not um, in this. She's not in that. Okay, uh, presumably she has snake powers and can unhinge her jaw and swallow people whole. I like that. Uh, And Bad Horse, played by Dauber. And there's one more. So in the soundtrack, there is a photo of the Evil League of Evil minus Dr. Horrible and Bad Horse. 
and it includes, and I quote, unnamed white masked figure. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. So uh, I don't well, know who he's he... act- That guy's actually the puppet master of the whole evil league. Ah. So he controls Bad Horse. So Bad Horse is just a figurehead. Unnamed white masked figure is like the real guy in charge. Okay. But he, like, it's it's all a scheme because if he made his face known, then it would, like, well, what's the point? Oh, what was that guy in Legend of Korra that was like that? I don't know. He wanted to hide the fact that he was the brother of someone, so he wore a mask. Oh, it's more like it's more like an Iron Man three, how they use Ben Kingsley as like the figurehead of the the Mandarin, and then it's like, oh, but Guy Pierce is actually in charge. It's but it doesn't help for people to know you're in charge. Yeah. Yeah, that was the Evil League of Evil. Um, I did want to mention. Um, I, I yeah, I, the the two credits I wrote down were cinematography by Ryan Green and editing by Lisa Lassick, just because that seems slightly more. Uh, worthwhile like those those are slightly more important jobs than all of the other things that are listed in the credits and I didn't have time to write down them all so those are the two I wrote down I wrote down um, costume designer who is Shauna Trepec great costumes throughout certainly she definitely came up with those uh, gloves that uh, (laughs) Penny wore she's actually worked with Joss Whedon for multiple projects um, Firefly, Angel, Dollhouse she came up with um she actually used her own wedding dress for one of Inara's dresses, um, which I thought That's was kind of cool. And then she also did the costume design for Torchwood. Um, oh, end of Times, Doomsday. It was the the three part mini series that Torchwood Who had, knows? or the the one season that was one continuous story, which I can't remember. And then I also wrote down the catering, which was Bruce's gourmet, gourmet catering. Thanks, Bruce. Um. Oh, the the. Oh, so also in the the regular cast, we came across this this guy called Hawaiian Shirt Guy, plays played by Lance W. Lanfear, and we we don't know who Hawaiian Shirt Guy is in the in the movie. Other than um, he's but, in Act Three, and we can't find him. Yeah, but uh, Lance W. Lanfear was the second assistant director on this project. So oh, cool. That's that's about it. Maybe he was in the crowd shot. I didn't scrub through that well enough. I don't. I mean, I did, but I couldn't still couldn't find him in the crowd shot before slipping. Or during slipping. Yeah. Yeah. Where they unveil a statue. Yeah. Uh, who knows? So, Kondra, uh, uh, this is the credits. Anything you wanted to say? Like, where this journey of talking about Dr. Horrible, <laughs> where where did it start? Where did it end? I, I, I feel like it hasn't actually been that long. So if you don't have a good answer, that's okay. Well, it's funny that this was going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll just do this as like a little hiatus project. And then we kind of told people, we were, yeah, we're going to do Dr. Horrible. And everyone's like, I want to be in on this. Yeah. And so that's why it turned into a much longer project, which I think is kind of exciting because it just shows that this relatively like this low budget kind of lesser known story really had that cultural impact on people. And it it is kind of. It's a cult classic in a lot of ways. It's not to the level of Rocky Horror in that everyone knows what it is. But I think it is kind of, it's that underground nerddom. We were at an age when it came out that we didn't know it was coming out at the time it was. And we we ran into it a little later. Um, But not much later. But it's just still interesting to think like this project that was again, like just for creators to create during the writer's strike has really had that cultural impact. And we've found so much to talk about. It is mind boggling. Yeah. The idea that 
it's like like we've been saying all along it's ahead of its time not only in it's like political predictions and like superhero-ness but just the the idea that there's always there's always something that's like culturally originative in a way that so much now draws from the ideas that Joss Whedon was playing with here and this really is like um a starting point for 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 everything that would come with the whole superhero era so it's not it's nice to look back on it's like looking back on the original King Kong movie or like I'm trying to think I'm gonna go Beauty and the Beast for Disney it came up with a formula the I want song the kind of right like the overall pacing of the film Beauty and the Beast had a lot of that setting for modern Disney films I I, I would say it's closer uh, I would say like Steamboat Willie like it's not it's not like the this grand like masterpiece of it's not it's not snow white it's just a short thing of like it's this it sets the groundwork for what we can do and it's original and unique and everything that everything that comes after it kind of owes a small part of it to this that would be my claim okay i'd one up you and say flowers and trees because that was the first successful uh three process technicolor but now we're just getting into details. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, st- I study animation in my No, yeah, it's time. fine. It's fine. No, it's it's good. No, that's a good point. Yeah, if we wanted to say Gertie the Dinosaur, we could say Gertie the Dinosaur, too. Oh, my God. Gertie's terrifying. <laughs> it's funny that people actually used to be, like, terrified of Gertie. But she was also, like, this revolutionary thing because they did this, like, live animation at, like, the yeah, live The guy would talk to her. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. Uh, so yeah um for me it's just been kind of this thing of like criticism is like this weird this weird field where it's like what like why bother talking about something like this for as long as we have and it's just been fun listening to everyone's opinions on it and the way that it's impacted their lives and talking like i just edited their the episode we did with Johan where he talked about where he was at the convention and he like talked to Joss Whedon and Neil Patrick Harris and Nathan Fillion real quick and just like these moments that like as you're saying it's like a cult classic like everyone who's been on here kind of like this is one of their favorite things but it's also something you so rarely think about and that's been interesting and to see that not like not only does it hold up except for like a few out of out of taste jokes and not even all of them are jokes. Some of them are just in-world things, which in a way is almost worse. Except, Yeah, except for a couple jokes, it holds up story-wise and character-wise in many aspects. And obviously as a mu- fun musical, like it's still, it still is worth watching and enjoying, not just as an artifact, but as just a, a piece of storytelling. I think all the, also that common thread of political resonance and relevancy that um, we've been talking about throughout the entire series in its foreshadowing and not just an influential way on movies and media, but also a little bit predictive of the social climate we live in today. Yeah. All right. We do technically have two episodes planned for um, Commentary the Musical. I don't know how we're going to roll those out. But while we're here, I think I'm going to just go through the list of the guests that we did have on the regular show. Yeah. So 
we have talked to Alex Thompson, Travis Bowe, Zach Frecking-Smith, Brad Mendenhall, Curtis Blaze, Niall McGowan, Rick Ingham, Jonathan Carlisle, Tabitha Carlisle, Johan Joseph, and Robin Garcia over the course of our time. I hope I don't didn't miss anyone, but that was the list I had. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. And thanks to all of them, and it was so nice to get to work with some of them again and meet some new folks. For the folks first that, time, yeah. Yeah. And this was interesting because... We really had like every episode except for the first one and the last one had a guest, which is so unlike what we did with Fantastic Mr. Fox, where like every once in a while we would just talk with ourselves and every once in a while we have a guest. If, if I'm going to be honest, I kind of like I kind of like having the alternation better than always having a guest. I don't know, though. It was really neat, especially where the segments were a lot longer. I could see it being and the episodes were also quite a bit longer. Yeah, um, it made sense it. to have guests for a lot of them. Yeah, but at the same time, I I get where you're coming from, where we get to just kind of bounce with ourselves and our ideas. To me, it feels like the standard is just us together, and then every once in a while we have a guest, and that's like a special occasion. Um, well, this whole thing was a special occasion. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. We don't need to banter about ourselves too too much, I guess. Um, so yeah, should we just kind of wrap up? The sh- I'm, I, I, it's, it feels weird because it's like a wrap up, but not a r- really a wrap up. So yeah, we've got uh, more coming. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to pitch I'm out good. on this? There's some fun. If you're really looking for it, there's some fun extra features on the Blu-ray. All right. Uh, so yes, thank you to all of our guests. Thank you to the, the, the filmmakers and everyone that worked on this film. We're <laughs> attempting to recognize you in this credits episode. Condra's playing with her hair on the microphone. I'm so tired. <laughs> it's school. School is back. School is not out. And so, yes, uh, until next time, um, catch us on the Twitter at Amateur Nerds or me personally at Tyler Booty, T-Y-L-E-R-B-O-U-D-Y. You can email us at AmateurNerdsPresent at gmail.com. Wow, <laughs> haven't plugged that one in a while. Or, you know, write, review, subscribe. Yeah, it's always good to good just things. get those iTunes reviews. Tell a friend about us. Yeah. That's honestly like the number uh, people have found like the number one way to pass along podcasts is word of mouth. Yeah. And and it's big. Yeah. So if if you like Dr. Horrible and you have a friend that likes Dr. Horrible, tell them about us. Yeah. And ev- everyone likes Dr. Horrible. A Dr. Horrible except is just Captain a f- Hammer. Yeah, except I feel like there's no one that's like, yeah, I saw Cap- Dr. Horrible. It's okay. I, every, like, everyone likes it. Once they see it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe um, I'll show that to our 13-year-old cousin this weekend. I was going to take maybe. her to Little Women, but maybe I'll show her this instead. Mm, take her to Little Women, though. <laughs> Little Women is better than Dr. Horrible. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> but. <laughs> okay. Um. Yes. Until next time, I've been Tyler Boudreaux, the podcast king of Chicago. I've been Condra, mistress of darkness. I don't remember. Except Queen of the night. It's Queen 11 a.m. <laughs> and yeah, we'll see you next time for another evil podcast of evil. Stay evil, y'all. <laughs> Keep evil. <laughs> <laughs>